Now, sometimes it's good to repeat something over and over and over and again. Sometimes it's like reconvincing ourselves. It is well. 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 It is well with my soul. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning and it's not well with your soul, whatever it may be. Um, I hope that, that maybe you can. Remind your soul that our soul is well with him. We need to focus our eyes on Jesus. Sometimes there's nothing we can do or anything anybody can say to us that will fix the feeling or the frustration or the struggle. It's good to just be reminded that we can get to the place where we say it is well. Regardless, it's well. It's well with my soul. You know, as, as we begin to get to the end of Jude's letter, there's, there's really a crucial question that comes to mind. You know, we've, Jude's been warning us and warning us and warning us about these people who could slip in and secretly come in and change things up and lead you astray, and, and this is how they live. And, and that question is, how? How do we do this? How do we see them? How do we live in such a way that we don't fall for the deceit and the lies and the untruths that they're wanting to to sway us with? How can we as believers practically contend for the truth so that we can be victorious in a day where falsehood is just running amok? I mean, it's everywhere. In the TV shows that we see, in even sports programs, on billboards, in magazines, in conversations at work, the thoughts and the things that are out there. And our passage this morning begins to follow up all of these warnings that Jude has been giving us with three thoughts. Imagine it would be three. Three thoughts. The first thought concerns the godless, who he's been talking to, talking to us about for the last 15 verses or so. And these are the people who were warned that are slipping in among us. And the second thought concerns the ways in which we can persevere in, in what we believe in the faith. And the third thing that Jude describes to us in our passage this morning is how we can reach out to those who we know who are lost, who who are struggling and wrestling with the truth and the faith that is God's word. And, and maybe you've been struggling with the last couple messages because you've sort of been feeling like Jude was describing you. And, and, you, and you're reading this and you're wondering, wow, am, is this the, is this the consequence? Is this, is this my fate, if you will? And, and if you've been wrestling with that and you've been struggling with that, I think today's passage especially is going to clear things up. I, I pray that it clears things up for you. If you still have questions and, and doubts and concerns, man, drop me an email, send me a text message, let's have coffee, let's talk about it. Go to a trusted friend and ask them. So if you haven't yet, turn to the book of Jude, and today we are beginning in verse 17, verses 17 through 23 today. In the book of Jude, which is between 3 John and Revelation. So, let's jump in right here. Verse 17. But, dear friends, 
Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Let's stop right there. And, and with dear friends, uh, what, what, a, a, uh, what a title of, in, what a term of endearment. Dear friends, uh, Jude is writing to believers, to the churches. To us. And he reminds us yet again what is happening, what is going to happen. People are following their ungodly desires and are scoffing at God and what he stands for, making jokes about him. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says this Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Words of Jesus. Pretty descriptive, isn't it? They're going to, they're coming. The first thing that actually came to my mind when I read that passage was Wiley e. Coyote, you know, putting on the sheepskin, trying to sneak into the, into the sheep. And of course, there's a guard dog, and I don't remember his name, and he doesn't look like he should be able to see at all. He's got that hair over his eyes. But he always finds him. He always protects the sheep. Now, sometimes these these false, this sheep's clothing is good. The purpose that they're, they want to sneak in. They don't want to get caught. They don't want to be identified, and they want to begin leading astray. It's intentional. It's on purpose. And Jesus says they are like ferocious wolves. They're looking to destroy and kill and tear apart. To tear apart doctrine, what, what Jesus taught, what, the, what, the, what God inspired the disciples to write and teach. Sound theology, a way of life that produces health and peace. They're after it all. Satan wants to destroy it. The scoffers deny many things, including the deity of Christ, the second coming, and the resurrection. They also twist God's grace and forgiveness into a license of sin. Lots of twisting in our culture today. Lots of licenses to sin in our culture today. These scoffers and godless people are clearly not Christians, for Jude says at the end of verse 19, right there, you can see it, he says, they do not have the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. The godless do not have the spirit. That's point number one, the first observation this morning. The Bible says that when we, upon salvation, we receive the spirit. We receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. So though we struggle with similar temptations and even fail sometimes, we do not suffer the same consequences as those who are godless, those who do not have the spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Upon salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. And if Jude says these men, these infiltrators, these who are slipping in, do not have the Spirit, then in their godlessness, they are just that. They don't have God at all. They're not saved. We still, however, must guard our hearts against these things. 
contending and persevering together as a community of God in what is clearly taught in Scripture. And also remain unified as we focused on last Thursday as these scoffers also seek to divide us. There's no better way than to, de- than to destroy someone than to separate them from the herd, so to speak. To get them out there, to attack their weaknesses. The Bible calls us to be unified, to, to stand together. Or even focused on things of lesser importance. Sometimes we can get tied into that in the church. In our relationships with people and how we live in, within a community. We can get so focused on, on little things and our opinions and, 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 and uh, the things that we value that we can lose sight of the big picture. Titus chapter 1 verse 16 says this about these scoffers. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. They don't have the Spirit. Now, one final note I want to make on this first verse here especially is that that the apostles say this, in the last times. Now, I believe we are indeed in the last times. And and what the the apostles are talking about here, meaning the last times, is, is not what's going to happen in the last week or, or the last year leading up to the second return of Jesus Christ. That's the last times. That's when you, when you see that, when you see the end, end times, I don't believe that they're talking about just that last few weeks or that last couple years. And, and this is why. This is why I don't, I don't think this. And let me... Uh, find this place in my notes. If somebody were to ask me, do, are we living in the end times, my answer to that would be, yes, absolutely we are. We are living in the last days. Now, by last days, I don't mean it's this going to be the end of this week, or, you know, days is a figurative term. And Jesus made it very clear, I think, and, and other writers would say the same thing, that that these last times that the apostles are referring to is the time between when Jesus came as a baby, as our Savior, and when he comes again. We are in those last times right now. Uh, Jesus, in uh, uh, Luke chapter 4, quoting, he's, he's in the synagogue, he has the book of Isaiah in his hands, he turns to what Obviously then there were not chapters and verses, but what we have now today, he, he turned to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and uh, we find him reading them, and as it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, which you see up there on the screen, and this is what it says. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. This is Jesus. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he dramatically closes it up and announces that this has now been fulfilled in me. It's me. I'm fulfilling this. 
Okay, now up to this point, um, if, if you read on in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, there's a part there that Jesus did not read. He left it out. Jesus stopped short of finishing that section, which says, and he did not read this, and the day of vengeance of our God. So up to this point, when, when Israel thought of the end days, their idea was that salvation and judgment would come at the same time. And Jesus, in saying this the way that he did, says, salvation is here, judgment is going to come another day. And that judgment that's, come, that's going to come is when Jesus returns again, his second coming, and it's in these days that we're living these last days because when he comes it's all over and he's going to come to judge Peter also makes the distinction clear in his letters as well are we in the end times are we in the last days I would say yes even if the last days are a hundred even if Jesus second coming is a thousand years from now how many more years do you and I have? Don't know. Today could be my last day. We are all in our last days. We need to be ready. And our neighbors need to be ready. And the people that we despise because of what they believe need to be ready. We all need to be ready. Are we in the end times? Yes. Which now brings us to the actions that Jude notes on, on the ways that we as Christ followers can persevere. Look at verses 20 and 21. This is what he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. There's that dear friends again. Warmly and lovingly, Jude says, let's get to it now. As believers, we persevere, and then he gives us three ways. Three ways in which we can persevere in the faith. As believers, we persevere first by building ourselves up, he says. More specifically, building ourselves up in the holy faith. Learning and growing in what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught. To know and obey the Bible, first and foremost, in regards to salvation. This is it. This is salvation, the good news of the gospel. This, in fact, is what Paul warns us in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, to, ad to adhere to. And, and again, I just want to, just so we get it, Paul says that even if angels or us as apostles come to you with something different than what we've already taught you, Run from it. Flee from it. If Cursed on be those. Cursed be on those who teach something differently than what they originally taught. And that's that eternal life is in Jesus Christ alone. It's not Jesus Christ and good works. It's not Jesus Christ and being a member of a church. It's not Jesus Christ and participating in communion or being baptized. It's in Christ alone that we receive salvation.
Paul says, declaring with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's pretty simple, really. And then, building ourselves up in the decisions that we make on a daily basis. Man, it's so easy to be led down the wrong direction on that road, isn't it? So easy. But yet God's word, his inspired word, is chock full of help. Got a question about relationships? There's answers. Got, got a question about marriage? There's, it's in here. God has given us what we need to have peace and, and to prosper in, in our life, not financially, but with him in our relationship. Things that, that work towards building up our families, that, that, that work towards transforming us at work and play, career decisions, obeying authorities, spiritual disciplines that build us up in similar ways that physical discipline builds up our body. Some are found in Ephesians chapter 5. There's lots of instructions in there that, that Paul gives us. Learn them, obey them, find what they are. Experience life with them. Real life we experience when we do. Real life, not the, not the cheap imitation that the world offers us. We also need to help each other out and allow others to help us. You ever have a friend confront you with a sin or with something that they observe in your life and, and your first response is to punch them in the face? I mean, that's what you want to do. You don't, we don't take that well. We don't receive criticism well. You're a leg ahead of me, Garrett. I mean, we want to grow, right? We want to learn, but our pride, our selfishness, our... Our humanity just, just arches its back against that. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 say this, See to it, brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need help. We need good friends to come and say, hey. What are you doing? Building ourselves up. Next Jude says this. We can actively persevere by praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, the simplest way to, to describe prayer is talking to God. It is the communication of the human soul with the Lord who created the soul. Uh, prayer is the primary way for us in Jesus Christ to communicate our emotions and our desires with God and to fellowship with Him. Prayer can be audible or silent. It can be private or public. It can be formal or informal. 
All prayer is offered in faith, trusting God hears us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is described in the Bible as seeking God's favor. It's described as pouring out one's soul to the Lord. It's described as crying out to heaven, drawing near to God, and kneeling before the Father. And as we do, as we pray, the Holy Spirit will help us see the gap between the way things are and the way things should be. As we pray, and as we pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help us to see the gap between the way things are in our life and in the world and the way things ought to be. And then we begin to surrender ourselves and humble ourselves and come in line with what God would have for us. And that's a daily wrestling and a daily walk and a daily struggle, which is why it's important that we pray daily in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 say this in the same way, and, and I love this passage. Have you ever, have you ever sat down and thought, uh, man, I just don't know what to pray for. I don't, know, I don't know what I should say. Well, listen to this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts Remind or knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We need to pray in the Spirit, and when we do, He guides those prayers. He helps us. An ongoing conversation in our house sometimes, it's not as bad anymore, but I still get the occasional, oh, Dad, won't you do it? Or, honey, won't you do it? So, um, this happened when our kids were younger, actually. Um, they didn't like to call people on the phone. You know, um, my wife's the same way, still doesn't like to call people on the phone. Who you call them? I, I mean, I have no problem calling people on the phone, right? So, it's just like, well, just call them and ask them. Uh, you do it. Okay, here's what you say. And this is what I would do. Okay. Tell them this, you know, read my text message if you need to. This is what you say, right? They don't know what to say or they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. And sometimes in our prayers, it's the same way. I don't know what to pray. I don't know. Spirit, guide my heart and my mind. Help, help me. And, and it's, it's like God will put words in your mouth, in the Spirit. Let's pray in the Spirit. As we pray, the Holy Spirit illuminates the path before us. He, he will illuminate the Bible for us. Sometimes you, you can sit down, and, and if it's in a moment of clarity and a moment where you're just, you've just been, I mean, you're in tune with the Holy Spirit. You, you just know it. And you read a passage, and you're like, wow, I have never seen that before. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever said that? It's because God is illuminating. It's the Holy Spirit showing you this is what it says. He helps us to see where to go and to know what to do. Build yourselves up. Pray in the Spirit, and as believers, we persevere by keeping ourselves in God's love. There's two sides to every covenant. God is absolutely faithful to his side. Completely. 
He loves us beyond measure. He sacrificed his life for us. And when we surrender to him, our sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. But we share some responsibility in this relationship too. Not for salvation, but but for cultivating the relationship. Our name is written in the the Lamb's Book of Life and it cannot be erased. We, We... However, that is true. We can, in fact, step outside of a peaceful relationship with our Creator. Have you ever experienced guilt and shame? Those are things that the Holy Spirit uses in our life to show us, hey, there's a problem here. You're you're living a life of disobedience or you're headed for destruction here. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to add pain. You're going to struggle with something here and there's this uncomfortableness. Like, like when our, I saw a video, I saw a video this morning of dogs who, I, I wish I would have, it, it makes sense now. There's this dog sitting there on his, on his pillow and you look at the back of the couch and it's completely gone. The back of the couch. The dog chewed it all off. And you can, you wouldn't even have had to see the couch to know when you look at your dog that there's a problem. He had that guilty look on his face. You can tell when your dog's done something that he shouldn't have, that he shouldn't have right? When you come in the house. It's like, oh, oh, what was it this time? I mean, that's how it is with us, too. We, we, we disobey our parents or we do something that we know we're not supposed to and we're in the room, when we're in the room with the person who we committed that infraction against, it's just, this, it's just not comfortable. That's the way it is in our relationship with God when when we live that way, Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love. Live in step with him. Repent of those things that you need to. Turn away from them. When, when the Spirit convicts your heart, listen. It's not good to get comfortable with that stuff. Jude says, do the opposite of straying away. Stay in the center of God's love. Um, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Stay connected to me. That's this keeping ourselves in God's love. Oh, we're masters of deception, though, aren't we? We are masters of of justification. Listen to this. Uh, Lee Strobel uses this illustration to highlight the moral rebellion that makes clear truths of Scripture much more ambiguous than they should be. Right? Because that's what's going on in our culture now. Well, does it really say that? This is the illustration. Imagine a daughter and her boyfriend going out for a Coke or going to a movie on a school night, and the father says to her, you must be home before 11. It gets to be 10.45, and the two of them are still having a great time. They don't want the evening to end, so suddenly they begin to have difficulty interpreting their father's instructions. What did he really mean when he said you must be home before 11? Did he literally mean us, or was he talking about you in a general sense, like people in general? Was he saying, in effect, as a general rule, people must be home before 11? Or was he just making the observation that generally people are in their homes before 11? I mean, he wasn't very clear, was he? And what did he mean by, you must be home before 11? Would a loving father be so adamant and inflexible? He probably means it as a suggestion. I know he loves me, so isn't it implicit that he wants me to have a good time? And if I'm having, a good t- if I'm having fun, then he wouldn't want me to end the evening so soon. 
And what did he mean by you must be home before 11? He didn't specify whose home. It could be anybody's home. Maybe he meant it figuratively. Remember the old saying, home, in, home is where the heart is? My heart is right here. So doesn't that mean I'm already home? And what did he really mean when he said, you must be home before 11? Did he mean that in, in, in an exact literal sense? Besides, he never specified 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. Try that with your parents, kids. <laughs> Not if you ever want to drive again. <laughs> and he wasn't really clear on whether he was talking about Central Standard Time or Eastern Standard Time. In Hawaii, it's still only quarter to seven. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, it's always before 11. Whatever time it is, it's always before the next 11. So with all of these ambiguities, we can't really be sure what he meant at all. If he can't make himself more clear, we certainly can't be held responsible. This is what happens when we rely on our own human wisdom, isn't it? We go down this path. Every day we struggle with things like this. Well, this goes against what I want to do, so let's try and figure out a way to, you know, it's ambiguous. God wasn't clear. Our, our humanity will win out every time if we leave it to us. But Jude points out that focusing on these three areas in our lives, building ourselves up, in Christ, praying in the Spirit, and keeping ourselves in God's love will, in fact, strengthen us and, and help us to persevere in the faith. We will seek to make the right decisions, not try to see how much we can get away with. That was a common young person thing. I mean, you, you get questions like that, right? We ask questions like that. So, um, the the... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to go on. Jude calls us to make positive steps and actions to remain true ourselves. And as we live that way and we become strengthened and we persevere, then when, when we're there and we're in the process of that, it sets us off on the next three things that he mentions, and that's ways that we can contend and reach out to those who are outside of salvation, who, who are those who don't have the Spirit. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire, interesting, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Again, three things. Jude says, that as believers, we're to reach out to, first of all, the confused, the doubters. Be merciful to those who doubt, Jude says. Maybe that's you sitting here this morning. Maybe, maybe you've just been constantly in doubt and you're just not sure if this is real or not, if, if, if the Bible is real and true. You, you just don't understand very much. In fact, it, it may be even that, that you have this renewed sense of interest in spiritual things and it seems like the, the, the struggle has gotten stronger, like the draw away from what you hear here and what you read in the Bible has become stronger. It's because it's a spiritual battle. Satan doesn't want your soul to be saved. He wants it destroyed. And he'll do everything that he can lie to you, deceive you, tell you that this is the best way, that, that they shouldn't tell you you shouldn't do this or experience this to, to get you to come away. And so 
you begin to doubt. He wants to kill and destroy you. That's what the Bible says he's up to. And we all have people like that in our lives, right? We've all been in a place like that before. Yet Jude says, be merciful to them. And in our mercy, I would say, let's pray for them. Let's support them. Let's be honest and loving and open to their questions. Not judging them, leaving that up to God, but helping them. As believers, we're to reach out to the confused. We're also to reach out to the convinced. Many in our circles of influence are not just confused, but they're actually convinced. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk to you about spiritual things or about who Jesus says he was. But Jude says, save them by snatching them from the fire. That's an interesting statement. Snatching them from, number one, we can't save anyone. God does the saving. God does the snatching from the fire. But yet he says to us, save others by snatching them from the fire. Well, first of all, truth be told, without Christ in our life, our destination is hell. Okay? That's the fire that he's referring to. God's judgment. Look at, look at Zechariah 3, 1 through 2. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. There Satan is again. First, last week, we, or two weeks ago, we saw he's with the archangel Michael accused, doing some accusing. And now here he is in the presence of God standing to accuse Joshua the high priest. The Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord... Yahweh, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man, referring to Joshua the high priest, a burning stick snatched from the fire? We are all burning sticks. We have all been burning sticks. And if we are in Christ, we have been snatched from the fire. And we no longer burn. By the grace of God through Jesus Christ, Joshua was saved. He was snatched from the fire. You, if you are in Christ, are saved as well. Snatched from the fire. There are many others in our lives who are not. They're burning today. Let's all continue to look for those who are convinced that this isn't real. Let's not write them off. Let's continue to be, so, so even though we can't actually save them, we can be a tool in the hand of God to be put into their life to bring them along towards salvation. I mean, we can point out to them sometimes that, that the name Jesus Christ is something other than what is uttered in a moment of frustration and anger. And do what we can to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, praying that they would be snatched from the fire. There are the confused, there are the convinced, and then there are the committed. I bet some of us know people like that too. You probably have already unfollowed them from Facebook. Because you just get tired of their constant railing against Christianity, railing against the church, railing against right and wrong. They are the committed. 
by golly, they're going to they're gonna save everyone from the stairway to heaven. They are so committed that every breath and Facebook post and conversation is about how terrible people are who believe in Jesus Christ. How Christianity has invented, was invented by a bunch of people to try and control the world. Seems every bone in their body is committed to opposing the Bible, where it's not allowed to be, what nativity scene, where nativity scenes can't be. So much of their lives is about doing what they can to limit the influence of Jesus. And we tend to see people like that and say, maybe they deserve it. And we write them off. What does Jude say? What does Jude say we should show them? Mercy. Oh, that is so hard to do. That's why we pray in the Spirit every day. You have to. Jude says, show them mercy. A soon-to-be pastor and his wife were attending Dallas Seminary, and uh, they decided that they didn't want to live in the seminary housing on campus. They decided that instead they would live in the high-class red-light district. And they said, if you want to get an introduction to life itself, that's the place to be. We made a commitment, he said, to take one non-Christian person, couple, or individual out to dinner once a week. And boy, did we get a liberal education. But what fun. (laughs) We had people coming to know the Lord right and left in that place because we simply loved them. We opened our home to them. Notice he didn't say, we went out with them wherever they went. No, they invited them to come along with them. Let's not even write off those who are committed to opposing God. Let's have mercy on them. But Jude also says this, and it's a little bit of a caveat and a warning to this, that our mercy should be mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. He's like this. Don't get so close to them and into what they're doing that you yourself are enticed then to be a, become a part of what they're doing. You need to fear that. You need to be afraid of that. Don't think, ah, oh, well, no big deal. Because it could become a big deal. Don't give up on them. Keep praying. Keep loving them. Keep bringing the message of the gospel to them. But also have a healthy dose of fear. Be careful not to fall into the same traps that they fall into. You are just as much a sexual being as they are. You are just as much of a prideful person as they are. You are just as much of a a selfish person as they are. And we need to be careful. Not put ourselves in compromising compromising situations, keeping a safe distance from their ideas and their habits and the way that they walk their life. Stay true to God's word, to the faith. Show mercy mixed with fear. Sin is a very powerful thing. Promises a lot and delivers brokenness and sadness and pain. But in the moment, we don't see it. We don't see it. Take action. So here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ yet, Keep seeking, keep asking questions. Why not today? If you hear the Spirit calling out to you saying, believe in me, surrender your life to Jesus Christ, why not right now? 
put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and the only hope of heaven. Surrendering the past life and your future life and all of it to him at his feet and saying, I don't, I don't get this, but I know that, 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 that I believe that you were who you said you were. You were the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that you, you died, you, you rose again, you conquered sin and death, and it's in you I put my faith and trust. And as followers of Jesus, let's take action too. Building ourselves up in Christ, praying in the Holy Spirit, and staying in the center of God's love. And then take that message of forgiveness and grace to those who, are, who, who doubt, to those who are convinced that it's not true, and for those who, who are committed at opposing it. I mean, what an encouraging and challenging passage today for all of us, I think. You know, there's a piece back on the information counter called Your Spiritual Journey, a personal guide. Maybe if you find yourself in that first category where you're just not sure. I'm not sure where I stand with God. I'm not sure what all of the sort of the decisions that I have made or I haven't made are. Um, this has a great explanation of, of just you know, find out where you are. Are you resisting? Are you a person that's just, you're just kind of questioning right now? Maybe you're, you're responding, and you're, but maybe you're embracing, and it describes that. And then there's some other things on the back there. And if you have a friend, somebody that's brought you to church or somebody that you feel comfortable talking with, um, look through that, answer the questions, and then call them and say, hey, can, I, I love coffee, okay? Hey, can we have coffee together? You know, if you absolutely hate coffee, I like soda too. And hamburgers. Um, let's have lunch. Let's have lunch. Don't let Satan make you afraid of asking questions. Ask him. Think of your elementary school teacher that said the only dumb question is one that's never asked. Right? Let's ask questions. Father, thank you for your amazing grace and mercy and oh, just the life to, that, that you, you give us to live with you. Not just something future when we die, but, but right here, right now on this planet in relationship with you, with the Spirit. Father, I pray that you would guide those who are here this morning who have yet to surrender their life to you and in what to do, how to, how to do that. you calling to their name. And Father, for those of us here who, who are just wrestling with, with staying true to your word, I pray that you would help us in these three, in, in these three things, that uh, these three actions that Jude has challenged us with. And, and Father, also give us uh, mercy and grace towards those who would oppose you. You, you are the one who will judge them, absolutely, Father. Help us to, to see them with your eyes and how your heart breaks for people that have not surrendered their life to you. The pain and, and the life that they're living. Now, Father, as we move to communion, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts in the midst of this as well. In Jesus' name, amen.